Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. I should be doing like a magic trick, like you should close your eyes and I'm over there and then you open your eyes and here I am standing up front. So, hey, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning um, to to open God's word and see what um, he has for us. So uh, my name is Garrett Richards. I'm an elder here at Redemption's Hill Um, and I'm excited to be able to uh, give Pastor TJ a break. not like they need sleep or anything, but uh, with a new baby, we're excited uh, and have been really encouraged the last few weeks. Uh, I know if you've been with us, you've heard us talking about different voices, um, being from, uh, you know, speaking from the, the pulpit and the importance of that. And, and can I tell you that if you've been here with us, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to guess that you have felt that. I've been so encouraged the last few weeks just being here, being in the room and hearing men really speak with authority, um, a word that, that I could just feel in my bones was, was really given them, to them by God. And so cannot commend Blake and, and Clayton for their sermons the last few weeks enough. If, if you've been with us, uh, hopefully you've been encouraged by that. If you've been catching up at home, hopefully you can maybe hear and feel that same authority that I, I, I told TJ last week. I said, authority is just the word that comes to mind. I'm texting TJ in the middle of the sermons. I'm like, Blake is killing it. Like, I, this is so good, because it's just, it's just so good. You could really feel God speaking through them. And so um, this week, I have the opportunity. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you uh, just a little bit up front, it's been a battle for me this week um, because their, their messages have been so encouraging. It's been a battle for me this week to battle my flesh. The enemy really uh, came against me this week to, to say things in my ear that, hey, you need to perform as well as they did. You need to... Do as good as they do. Other people need to have that feeling that you got from them. And, and so um, that's, that's been a struggle this week, especially uh, what I told myself in my mind is um, some of that based on the text that we have. So uh, we're going to continue this morning through our series in Titus. Uh, how many of you read ahead this week? A couple of you? Okay, so Blake and Clayton got these wonderful messages just about God's grace and how good he is and how, how messed up we are and that his grace and his favor is there for us and we're saved to good works. And then I get excommunication. Uh, I say that jokingly, right? Uh, it, it, is, it is true. Um, but I want to caution us this morning, if you do what I just did, right, you hear that and you're like, ugh, in your flesh, um, we can focus on the wrong things when we, when we read something like this. So I'm just going to really ask that God would just open our hearts to hear from him this morning. So if you're, if you're just joining us, if this is your first week, um, the reason we're preaching about excommunication today is because we, uh, we preach exegetically. Um, and so we talk about that a lot. And, and this week, I feel like, is one of the, the times you really see the beauty of that, um, what, what exegetical preaching, preaching, you know, methodically, line by line, sometimes through uh, a book of the Bible, what it does is it prevents us from skipping texts uh, that might be difficult to hear, or in my case, difficult to preach, right? It's not, not my first choice. Um, so it keeps you from doing that, right? It makes you look at the whole 
gospel, to look at the word and see, you know, it says it's all useful for teaching, rebuking, and all those things. So it, it keeps us from avoiding those things that might be hard in our flesh to hear. Um, but because we do that, well, then when you get a text like this, it, always, it also shows us how what these seemingly difficult texts, how they really fit in to the big, beautiful storyline of the Bible and our redemption, right? And if you separate just today's text, it, it may be a little bit harder to swallow, but if you see it in flow with what we've heard the last few weeks, I think that you will hear it differently and will receive that differently. So that is my hope for us this morning. Today, we are going to close out our series on Titus that we have um, titled The Good Life, right? And as we do that, we want to remember especially some things that Blake shared with us in last week's message, especially those excellent and profitable things that Paul talked about. So last week in uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7, we saw this kind of beautiful summary of God's kindness to a people who really didn't deserve it, right? Paul pointed out that we were, were foolish, we're disobedient, we were slaves to our passions and our pleasures, that we are envious, we were hated by those around us, and we hated those around us. That's who we were. But then as we read that, we got one of those beautiful but God moments, right? When you're reading through scripture and you hear just about your depravity and you're like, ooh, this, this is rough. And then you get this beautiful but God, in spite of all that, but God sent his son. And he sent his spirit to us that we might share in the rebirth of all things. That's what we saw kind of through three, verses three through seven last week. And then in verse eight, Paul instructed believers then and us now to stress these things, those things that he talked about that are excellent and profitable for everyone. Those are the things we should be stressing. And essentially, when we looked at what that was, it's just, it's the gospel, right? It's the gospel. It's our depravity in God's goodness. And, and it's an unmerited favor that Clayton told us about a couple weeks ago. Those are the things we're supposed to stress. Those are the things that are excellent and profitable. And essentially what he's saying is you can never talk about the gospel too much. We just, we can't. We don't ever need to move on from it. We don't ever move away from it. We don't grow past it. We don't evolve beyond it. We don't mature beyond our need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves and to those around us. We don't need to reinvent things, right? There's not this enlightening that happens and now we've moved beyond that. Yeah, I know what that says, but the world, we don't do that. We need to stress these things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. So today, in our closing of the book, we're going to see Paul point out some things that are excellent and profitable and that should be stressed constantly, preached constantly. But then we're going to see some other things that he calls unprofitable and useless. And he says we should avoid those things constantly. So let's open our Bibles this morning, if you would, to Titus chapter 3. We're going to be reading verse 9 through the end today, which is verse 15. 
It's a short book. It's probably why you read it in the past when you were trying to figure out what to read. You're like, well, what's the shortest book? Titus, I'll read that. But we're going to read 9 through 15, and then we'll, we'll break it down. So Titus 3, starting with verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. In verse 12, when I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. God, we love you. We just come before you this morning and really lay ourselves before you and just ask for your help this morning. God, I ask for your help this morning. Lord, that you would speak to us, that your will would be done this morning. God, that we would humble ourselves and our flesh God, and and our desires and these passions and and pleasures that we seek, God, that that in love through your spirit, God, because of your son Jesus, you would just speak to us and and call us to a life of, of fruitful, excellent, prosperous things, God, that would glorify the body. Lord, you just encourage us. Help us to see what you would have for us this morning. In your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, we closed Paul's instruction to stress the goodness of God, to stress his grace, that unmerited favor that he calls profitable. Then, as the text flows, we see Paul juxtapose that instruction with the instruction to avoid things that are unprofitable. Here's the profitable thing. Stress those things. That's all you need. Can't outgrow it. Can't talk about it too much. Avoid these things. And what are those things that that Paul instructs us to avoid? Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. He says avoid those. Avoid controversy. That's simple enough, right? Just avoid controversy and and quarrels. Can we let that sink in just just for a minute? I don't know if you felt that. I felt it last week when Blake talked about controversies and, and being peaceable. Let that sink in that the people of God are instructed to avoid controversy and quarreling. 
Now, you wouldn't necessarily think that's a difficult ask for the church, right? To stress the gospel and avoid controversy. Avoid quarreling. Easy enough. But the reality is, is that often, even as believers, even in the church, we swap those things. We get those things mixed up sometimes. Right? The, the reality is we often switch those two things around. Instead of stressing the gospel and avoiding controversy, we often stress the controversy and we avoid talking about the gospel. Now, it may be true that our preaching stretches, stresses the gospel, but our conversations, the things that we talk about, often stress controversy. Right? We can agree on the things that we heard about last week that sound good to us. We agree on the kindness of the Father. We agree on the renewal of the Spirit and the grace of the Son and the hope of eternal life, the floaty place. My new favorite thing that we've, we've learned the last few weeks. That these things are excellent and profitable, but we often put our energy into controversies, into arguments and quarreling. And it's not hard to see. I'm going to guess you feel it sitting here today. I'm going to tell you I'm exhausted by it here this morning. Now, we live just in a culture that focuses, serves, and glorifies the individual. Individualism is of the utmost importance, right? I'm going to do me, you do you, as long as it doesn't bother me. Right? That's what our culture says. And with this, in this individualistic culture, self-expression becomes one of our highest values. Everyone has the right to their own truth and to express their own opinion. And we've learned about that and we've seen that pointed out through this series. That's what culture says today. But Christ didn't die so that everybody gets their own opinion and so that everybody can have their own truth. Christ died so that we might be one, not individuals, one. He died to reconcile us to God, but also to one another. In an individual culture that values the individual, it values the individual above community. Right? There's no us, there's no one, there's no reconciling. It's each person on their own. So somehow, in a culture that focuses on the individual, and in all of our freedom to express our individual opinions, somehow, controversy and quarrels and fighting are stirred up. Because how dare your opinion question or go against my choices and my opinion? Now, in my prep this week, I, I really thought about creating a list of things that we are quarreling over, right? Let's just, let's just list a few things that, a quick glance that we're fighting over, but we honestly don't need that, I don't think. I'm guessing that in your mind, you've got things rolling through there already when we talk about controversy and quarreling. You see it every day. It's on your feed. 
You see it in your workplace break room. You hear it in the line to pick up the kids from school. Controversy everywhere. Everywhere you go, it feels overwhelming. I don't think it's just me. It feels overwhelming. Offense and controversy and quarreling and fighting everywhere that we look. And if only there were a place that we could go to not be constantly bombarded with these things, right? If only there was a safe place. And that place should be among the people of God. Should be among the people of God because Paul says that things like this, quarreling, controversies about the law, about where you came from, who you belong to, he says these things are a waste of time and energy. Paul's instruction to the people of God is don't waste your time participating in these things. Don't waste your energy fighting about things that don't matter, that aren't those gospel things that we should be stressing. Instead, Paul would tell us that in every place, everywhere we find ourselves, and in every time and with everyone, we should be stressing the gospel. We should be speaking life and joy and hope in the, the, the salvation that we have because of a loving father who sent his son, who gave us the spirit. Those are the things that we should talk about. Let's talk about the love of the father. Let's talk about the grace of the son. Let's talk about the renewal of the spirit more than we talk about anything else. especially things that divide us, especially things that divide us simply because they, they create division. Now, just because our generation and our culture today seems to crave controversy, possibly more so than any other, it doesn't mean that we somehow invented it. When I was thinking about this week and when I went to like just controversy, where did this start, right? Where we just look to be offended by everything and we just, we look for that and we crave it and we want to see what's going on and what the latest controversy is. Well, I don't think this is what created it. My mind went to, in 1991, there was a groundbreaking show created called The Jerry Springer Show. <laughs> That's honestly what my mind went to. I remember watching it as a kid, and I don't remember what any of them were talking about, but it was just people, and they'd come in there fighting, and we're, right, and, and it was like, it, it went on for like 20 years. I didn't realize Jerry Springer show was on in like 2015 still, right? We begin to crave controversy, but we didn't necessarily invent it. Jerry Springer did not invent controversy. And we might have mastered it. We maybe have marketed it and packaged it for sale. We maybe have weaponized it, but we didn't invent it. Controversies have been happening in every era of man, right? We have different views. We're, we're, we're each different. We, we have differing views on very important issues. And sometimes we differ on how important we think those issues are. 
But the scripture speaks repeatedly about those who have what Paul calls in 1 Timothy 6, an unhealthy craving for controversy. Right? I may say this a few times today. We're not talking about that we all are going to agree on all things at all times. But Paul warns us about the person who has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And certainly it's easy for me to step back and look out at the world and see an unhealthy craving for controversy, right? But it is important for us today, this message, this word from Paul is to the church. This is for us. This is to us about our unhealthy craving for controversy. We need to hear it that way. Quarrels, fighting, disagreements, sometimes come. It's going to happen. And sometimes these controversies are what it takes to be faithful to the Spirit. Sometimes you have to have that. All right? But we need to be careful with that because just like the person who engages in sexual immorality can always convince themselves that this is a special case of love or soulmates or we're already married in our hearts, right? Just because we can justify that, the one who has an unhealthy craving for controversy can always convince themselves that he or she is a warrior for Christ instead of maybe being captive to their passions that Paul warned us about. Let's look at verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now Paul is passionate about the unity of the church. He's passionate about it. That's why we have this instruction here. That's why we are to stress things that are profitable and excellent for creating unity within the church and avoid things that do the opposite. And unity in the church is important because this is God's eternal plan. We've already said this is why Christ died. And through our unity, through the unity of the church, We display God's wisdom, that he knew what he was doing, that that it is good. And I think when we see it this way, when we see the importance of unity in the church and, and what God intended and the mission that we have, I think it makes sense that there would be a need to deal decisively with a divisive person, with someone who comes to attack that with someone who comes to disrupt that unity within the church who is the bride of Christ. If that happens, we have to take action. The loving thing to do for the body is to take action because this is what's at stake. The purposes of God, the work of the cross, and the success of the mission. That's what's at stake. That's our call, and we have to protect that. And those are the times where action has to be taken. So Paul gives church leaders 
a three-step process for dealing with someone who seeks to divide the church. Please remember that. This is for the person who seeks to divide the church. Not necessarily the one who disagrees with certain things. Often in our, I think in every membership class, every membership discussion we've ever had here at Redemption's Hill, we talk about open-handed and closed-handed issues, right? The divisive, we're not talking about anybody who, who maybe differs on these open-handed issues. We're talking about people that seek to divide the church. That's what this instruction is for. So here's the three steps. A first warning. This is a, this is a gracious, this is, this is a patient, gracious step that we get from Paul. Warn them. Call that sin. Give that person the opportunity to repent and turn and be reconciled. Get back on mission. Second warning, right? Then we get a second warning. Again, grace, hey, it's sinful what you're doing. You're seeking to divide the church. Repent, turn from that. Look at what the gospel says. Look at what you're doing. Come back. And then he says the third step is, I'm gonna call, excommunication. He says separate yourself from that person. Anybody uncomfortable with that? Some of you are probably uncomfortable with what I just said, but it wasn't really me that said it. It was Paul. You're mad at him. Actually, it was Jesus. Jesus said that as well. So let's, let's look quickly at Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Just jot that down in your notes if you want to look at it this week. Matthew 18, Verse 15, this is Jesus. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Verse 20. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Unity. It's good, right? We can do that. We welcome that. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The second warning. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. This is wrong. This is sin. This is what we see. This is what the gospel says. This is what you're doing. We want you to be on mission. Come back. Right? We do it with others in love, to, with unity in mind. And then verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, not part of the body, not united, you're out, okay? It's hard to hear because we think of this authoritative, I was thinking this week about how I deal with my kids, right? One, two, right, but then we don't actually do anything when we get to three, that's what it feels like at times, and, and, and we have to be really careful to look at who, who this is to and, and the whole thing, right? Not just the consequence. We've got to look at the behaviors. 
people who pick an argument and refuse to repent, Paul says in Titus, are warped and sinful. Their priorities have shifted away from the gospel, away from those things that we are supposed to stress constantly. And their love of controversy reveals that in their hearts is one of two things. The first is malice. And that person, their intent is truly to destroy the church. Or in their heart is pride. Which gets us all a little bit. Pride. That they assume that they know best. And they have appointed themselves guardians of the truth. Those people who seek to divide the church, it's dangerous for the body. It's dangerous for the unity of the bride of Christ. And just like a sickness that infects our physical bodies, we must, leaders must, protect the church body from the sickness as well before it spreads. Okay? Now my fear going into today and, and my fear with parts of scripture like this is that it bristles against our sinful desires to be in control. Right? We all have that. We talk about it often. You go all the way back to Genesis 3, the fall, right? It was our desire. We have a better plan than you, God. The way we do it would be better. And this bristles against that because we all think we know what's best. My fear is that we leave today only hearing about church discipline, only hearing about casting someone out or excommunication or whatever it is. That's my fear. Because again, going back to our individualistic culture, even in the church, there are masses of people who through their own justification want to call instruction like this, bullying or heavy-handed or abusive. And I want to be careful, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but what I am saying is that many people's default position because of our nature is to be suspicious of church leaders. Some people seem to assume that it is their responsibility or role to question everything that the elders do. But what they are really assuming is that they know best. That they are the all-knowing ones who should judge whether the leaders are making good Decisions are not. And no one is perfect, including the elders at Redemption's Hill. But what we often talk about as we, as we walk this thing out for 10 years together, as we've had people that we've brought into the Redemption's Hill families, we've, we've looked at membership and we've walked this out and we've labored through trying to be faithful to the gospel together, what we have constantly asked of each other and remind ourselves often is let's, let's believe the best about one another, right? Let's be family, and, and I'm going to ask you to believe the best about me. If you're not sure about a decision that was made, would you, let's lead with believing the best. We don't need to stir up controversy where it's not needed. There's plenty of that in the world. Right? We're to be in the world, but not of it. We're to be set apart. 
So let's love each other like family and believe the best, even on some things that we might disagree on. The open-handed, right? I think you do too many songs, Garrett. Okay. Still be brothers. Right? I want to be one clear about one more thing before we move on. What, what we don't want, and what I'm afraid some of you might hear, is we don't want unthinking obedience to any church leader, here or anywhere. All right? That is a recipe for immaturity and possibly for abuse, for being mistreated. That's not what we're asking. But we do want submission to church leadership. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And Titus 3 makes it clear. How can we pursue this unifying submission without encouraging or excusing this overbearing leadership? He shows us right here. If they get these things wrong, the things that he calls us to stress, the gospel, if we get the gospel things wrong, step one, confront them. Ask them about it, right? If church leadership is getting the gospel wrong or leaving it behind, you can question them. You can come to us. You, can, you should be able to go wherever, whoever this is for, right? You can question them about it to them directly. You cannot talk about them behind their back. Remember how we justify right? Our unhealthy craving for controversy sometimes by seeing ourselves as a warrior on mission. And sometimes it excuses gossip. That's not how we do it. We don't talk about it behind their back. We don't troll them on their socials, right? Wrong. I remember a skit one time that I saw where uh, somebody was in the front row and they were like on Wikipedia, like fact-checking all the, the sermon and they're like, wrong. Like, we don't do that, right? We go face-to-face with them. But on all other matters, those, all those other non-gospel things, Scripture says trust them. Believe the best about them. Again, we can disagree on that. I think you should do four songs instead of five, Okay. That's cool. Trust them. On all other matters, trust them. So this is not an excuse. This is not saying be a doormat. Let let church leadership, you maybe have experienced this done wrong. And I'm sorry that happened to you. And we are not perfect. We've made mistakes over the years. And if we do this right, we do it in love, both sides should be able to say, hey, this is what I see I don't see the gospel in that. Can we get back to here? We should hear that in love and say, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry, I repent of that. And the church can be united. Believe the best. Let's keep, let's, let's finish out the.
Let's continue reading. When I see Artemis or Titus to you, when I send them to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. That's important. We'll talk about that in just a second. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So Paul closes with instruction as he does in a lot of his letters. And in this case, we see some instruction to care for his brothers in Christ. Zenos, the lawyer who, honestly, we don't really know anything about. And Apollos, but this is kind of big. When he says, take care of Apollos. See that he has everything that he needs. This is Paul demonstrating what he just preached. There are places in Scripture where there were, there were fractions in the church that really pitted Paul and Apollos against one another, Right? There was this sort of celebrity. There was a controversy, would you say, about who you followed. So in culture, they would have seemed as rivals. But here we see Paul saying, take care of my brother Apollos. Make sure he has everything he needs to see the gospel go out. There's no controversy about, well, they, he think, they think I'm a, he's a better speaker than me or he has more disciples than I do. Paul sees the gospel going out and stresses those things. Take care of him. That's a great reminder. So he says, take care of Apollos, and then he reminds us again to devote ourselves to good works, things that are fruitful. And as we've seen today, he, he tells us to avoid being unfruitful. The good life is not a life without struggle. It's not a life without disagreement or controversy. But because of what God has done on behalf of his people, because of the good news of the gospel, because this is freely given in the midst of and in spite of our sinfulness and our unhealthy passions sometimes to serve our flesh and our own ideas. In spite of those things, we have love and acceptance. That's the good life. That's what we see in Titus and so that's why I think when you look at a text like this as in the whole picture, this shouldn't feel heavy-handed. This shouldn't be something to be afraid of. This should be seen over the lens of a loving father who wants to protect his children, who seeks for the well-being of his bride and the unity of the church. And there are instructions and there are steps to protect those things. Band, you guys can come back up. 